rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself. ISIS is threatening to go even further, releasing a chilling video of Christians executed in a mass beheading. Students run to safety, some with hands still in the air. Syrian white helmet rescuers desperately trying to free victims. The winds are ferocious right now, gusting above 120 miles per hour. If you shooting taking place at the First Baptist Church. Well, good morning, Liquid Church. Great to see you guys. Glad you're here for what's the grand finale of our series, The 11th Hour, Are We Living in the End Times? And can we welcome all our campuses joining us today? Or if you're listening on podcast, church online, glad you're with us. It's the final week of our series. And next Sunday, can I just say, you are in for a special treat. May 6th is my favorite Sunday of the spring. Next week is Baptism Sunday. And check this out. Oh, yeah, yeah, here's the deal. We have a record. We have over 220 men, women, and children signed up to get baptized. You can praise God for that. Congratulations, guys. If that's you, if you're one of them, um, this is a huge milestone in your journey following Jesus, and it's a real special day. You're going to hear dozens of stories of just transformation of how God is not only saving lives, but mending marriages, healing broken bodies, broken hearts, and so don't miss it. Invite your family and friends, and if you're a Christian and you've never been baptized as an adult, this is really your next step in your walk with Jesus. Jesus modeled baptism. He, he uh, did it himself as an example, and then he said, I want you to do it. It was actually a command by Jesus to be publicly baptized, and there's still time to do that. You can sign up at your campus. If you take out your phone, the Liquid Church mobile app, now you can sign up for things there. You just go under the tab that says coming up. You can sign up, and we'll get you in the hot tub next Sunday at your campus, and we're going to celebrate. Well, today is our final week of the series on the end times. It's a message that I'm calling the final judgment. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, it kind of sounds like a courtroom drama. Anybody love courtroom shows, uh, TV shows, or, or movies? My favorite courtroom movie uh, is a movie called A Few Good Men. You guys remember that? All right, old school, Tom Cruise, all right? Jack Nicholson, he's this Marine colonel, Colonel Jessup, who's on trial for corruption. And if you remember in that climactic scene in the courtroom, uh, Jack Nicholson is kind of sitting on the witness stand, and Tom Cruise is cross-examining him, and he says, I want the truth. And Nicholson says, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth, right? That's kind of like that big moment, and you're like, whoa, it became a meme. And uh, the corrupt colonel is exposed, and the judge puts his gavel down, and he pronounces guilty on all charges. Well, today, I want to prepare you for a real-life courtroom scene that every single one of us will personally experience when you come to the end of your journey on earth. Now, that may be in seven years or 17 years or 70 years from now, but at the end of your life, the Bible promises in Romans 14, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And I don't know what that stirs in your heart. You know, the idea of standing before God's judgment seat, uh, maybe a little bit of anxiety, maybe some nervous anticipation. 
But today, I want to kind of clear up the confusion about the final judgment because a lot of people don't understand. A lot of Christians don't understand that at the end of life, there are actually two judgment seats for two different groups of people. And it's important to know which one you're going to stand before, uh, what questions you're going to be asked, more importantly, what you're going to say. The first judgment seat on my right is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the judgment seat before which all believers, all Christians, will stand one day to give an account of their life, okay? Now understand, this is not a judgment to determine are you saved or not, okay? We are saved by faith in Christ alone, amen? Not by our works. But the Bible says that we are saved for a purpose, to spend ourselves, bringing glory to God, by serving others. And so if you're a Christian, God's going to ask you a penetrating question at the judgment seat of Christ. What did you do with your life? How did you spend the talents that I gave you? Did you serve other people or did you just use it to make yourself rich and you hoarded all that for yourself? Did you bring glory to me during your life on earth? That's the first seat, the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. The second seat is what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment which is exclusively for non-Christians. It's described in Revelation chapter 20, which we're going to look at today. And this is God's final judgment on sin, on wickedness, on in the evil in our world, and all those who actually reject Jesus as Lord. It is truly the end of the end times. So I want you to get this courtroom snapshot in your head. Two different chairs, two different judgment seats, one for believers one for non-believers. And it's critical you get the difference between these two. To know which one you're going to stand before, what questions you'll be asked, and most importantly, what are you going to say in response? So before we look at these in the Bible, let me just pray for us. Would you bow your head? Lord, we acknowledge, talk about the, you know, final judgment can be scary. Uh, it can make us uneasy. It's a, it's a heavy topic, Lord. So I pray right now, would you release a spirit of faith in this room at all our campuses? As we open your word, and take stock of our lives and how we're going to live in the light of your soon return. Jesus, we believe you're coming soon. So God, I ask you to use this message to prepare our hearts, consider changes we might make, and give a sober view of our days so we can face the future with faith, Lord, not fear, and be ready to meet you with great confidence on that great day. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said? All right. Well, I want to first begin by talking to all the Christians uh, or the believers in this room and at all of our campuses. I use those interchangeably, Christian believer. Uh, many of you are sincere followers of Christ. That's why you're here. You're not here today out of like religious duty, like, oh, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. Um, you're here because you personally know Jesus. You love him, right? What he's done for your life, the freedom he's given you, the salvation. And you're like, I love to worship Jesus. I love to serve Jesus. I do that out of gratitude, not guilt. Um, this free gift of salvation, he, he's forgave my sins, I have new life, I want to serve others through his sacrifice on the cross. He, Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Now understand, the moment you become a Christian, you pass from spiritual death to life in the eyes of God. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be to determine your salvation. That's already settled. But it's going to be to give an account of how you lived your life. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for we must all appear before, here it is, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what's due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
Now, when does the judgment seat of Christ take place? This is most likely right after Jesus returns, right? At the rapture. Died Christians are resurrected from the dead. Living Christians are raptured to be with Jesus in heaven. And again, this is a judgment for Christians only. And here's the hope. It's not really God judging our sins. Rather, he's rewarding us for the good works we did in his name on earth. And there's a reason for that. People believe that, and scholars say, the Greek word actually here for judgment seat is translated to the word bema. It's spelled B-E-M-A if you're taking notes. In the ancient world, bema was not a judge's bench where a judge sat and delivered a verdict. It was actually a throne where a judge would sit at an Olympic contest and give out rewards. In other words, if the runners ran a race at the finish line, the judge would sit at the Bama seat and he said, okay, John, you came in first. Come on up here, my boy. And you would bow down. And you know what he would do? He would put a crown on your head. Now, it was typically, it was Olympics, right? So it was like an olive and bay leaves, one of those laurel wreaths kind of, but that's where we get the idea of a crown from. So this is an award ceremony. It's where somebody says, you finished the race. Look what you did. Look at your time. That's awesome. And would put a crown. So this, was, this is actually a celebration, the judgment seat of Christ is like an award ceremony, so you don't have to freak out or fear it, because this is where, Christians, you receive crowns from King Jesus. Now, now, what kind of crowns are we talking about? Well, the Bible mentions five crowns that will be given out at the judgment seat of Christ. The first is the crown of glory, if you're taking notes. And this is for faithful leaders in the church, according to 1 Peter. In other words, this is for people who shepherd and care for God's flock. So maybe you're a life group leader or you're a middle school mentor. You care for people in Jesus' name. But those who haven't completely, like, you know, blown it, they don't get bogged down in the politics at church or money or the sex or, you know, that, like, scandalize the church. You've steered clear. You've been faithful to serve the bride of Christ. And it says you will receive the crown of glory because you're caring for others in Jesus' name. Uh, the Bible says there's a crown of righteousness, for those who long for Christ's return. Again, if you're taking notes here, it's crown of righteousness. Here's what 2 Timothy 4.8 says. Now there is in store for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous what? Judge will award on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In other words, do you get excited about Christ's return? That was my hope through this series. I hope your prayers like mine, like Maranatha, come on, Lord Jesus, return. That's why I preach about the end times. Because <laughs> I want you to be excited about Christ's return so that you can get this crown, the crown of righteousness. Now, there's another crown called the crown of rejoicing. And uh, this is for Christians who share their faith. In other words, if you invite a friend to church, or maybe you're a light in your office where you work, or you share the gospel with your college roommate. That is something that Jesus himself will personally reward. The crown of rejoicing, honestly, this is a crown that I'm actually working for. <laughs> One of the goals in my life is to depopulate hell. <laughs> I, I don't want to just go to heaven. I want to take as many people with me as possible, amen? And so that's the crown of rejoicing. Now, the fourth crown is the crown of life, and this is for Christians who suffer. Um, this is a real tender one, I think, close to the Lord's heart. In James 1, it says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you've ever suffered uh, for the name of Jesus, in other words, maybe you were ridiculed for your faith at school, maybe you were rejected, you know, by people in your life, or, or suffered abuse, maybe even your family members are like, oh, you and you, the crazy Jesus thing. This is a crown for Christians 
who suffer for the name of Jesus. You know, I was talking with one of our students here at Liquid, and uh, she's in high school, and she was telling me that, you know what, her faith in Christ, being Christian is not popular. She said, Pastor Tim, I'm actually routinely mocked for that. I am excluded from things, like don't invite her, she's the Christian. And scripture promises, there will be a special crown for that from Jesus. There's a special crown for Christians right now in the Middle East, in Asia. This is a crown for martyrs. I'm thinking the persecuted church. The fifth crown, and the last one, is the incorruptible crown, and that's for those who run a faithful race. This is for those who finish well, and it's to reward our faithfulness to Jesus. When I think about this crown, it's about people who don't drop out, but who finish the race really well. I think of the late Billy Graham, right? We've celebrated Billy Graham. He died at 99 years old last month. You know Billy's going to get this crown, right? I think we all imagine the judgment seat of Christ, the, like it's the award show, and it's like, and this crown goes to Billy Graham, and this one, Billy Graham, you know? It's like, <laughs> you going to be any left for us, you know? Have you ever watched like the award show, the Academy Awards? I always love how like they show, you know, the nominees, the face of them, and they're all like, and the award for best actor goes to, and then when they announce it, everybody who lost goes, oh, I'm so happy for them. I ah, praise God I lost, you know. Uh, remember, they're actors, people, okay? They're actors. <laughs> Don't worry. The judgment seat of Christ is not a competition. It is not. Christ is not going to measure us against each other. He's going to say, how did you spend the life I gave you, Jerome? How did you use the talents I gave you, Darcy? I gave specific gifts to you, Frank. How did, did you spend them all on yourself? Or did you use them to serve others in my name? And there's going to be plenty of crowns to go around. In fact, I think, honestly, the most special awards will not go to the, you know, the people in the spotlight, but the supporting actors. Those who serve humbly behind the scenes. I can't wait to get to heaven, and I'm going to be standing over here, and I'm going to be cheering for some of you. Because I think there's going to be that moment where Jesus says, Cliff, this is for that time you helped park cars in the rain. And, and you and Paul were out there in the snow while everybody else, can we hear for the parking team, by the way? I think that's a special crown. Shane, Shane, this is, the, this is for the time you mentored that group of middle school boys. Okay, you know, they're middle school. You get three crowns, bro. That's like, you know, right? Brett or Renee, this is for all the years you fed and you clothed the hungry. You brought meals to the homeless in my name. This is for you. Uh, Monica, this is for that time. You, you gave up your spring break to go drill a well in Rwanda on the other side of the globe. Water for thirsty kids. That's for you. See, guys, you got to understand this. Everything we do on earth echoes into eternity. God keeps a record. Nothing misses his eye. In Luke 14, Jesus told his disciples about the special rewards that will be handed out in heaven. Jesus said this, Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, understand, these are not good works that earn our salvation. Rather, they're good works done out of our gratitude for Jesus. Just a desire to, to sacrifice and worship and humbly serve him. John, this is for that time that you took care of your sick mother or father in their dementia. And it was so hard. And nobody, you thought nobody saw it. I saw it. Diane, this is for the time that you visited the lonely in the nursing home, in the rehab center. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to say, you, you saw that? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So understand, guys, some of you are going to pile up the crowns. 
I'm telling you, I don't think it's the famous Christians. I think it's the anonymous servants who are serving the Lord behind the scenes who'll be first in line for their reward. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, if you're a believer, don't fear judgment. It's the Lord says, I'm coming, I'm bringing my reward with me. Now, don't get proud about this, right? Don't be all like swaggy, like, hey, I'm going to get some crowns up in there, you know, and I, you're gonna, I'm going to pile up the crowns, I'm going to strut my stuff, check out my bling, you know, look at my crown, Jermaine, yours a little bit smaller. You, I promise, you will not do that. You know why? <laughs> you're not going to be like, my crown's bigger than yours. Here's why. Because if you read at Revelation 4, where the 24 elders received their crowns, do you know what they did with their crowns? It says they knelt down before Jesus and they put the crowns at his feet and said, you're the only one worthy of worship. Listen to me. This is going to be, I want to prepare you for this. This is going to be the most humbling moment of your life. Because you're going to kneel down before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And as he reaches to put that crown, you're going to see nail-pierced hands. And you're going to look up at a guy who is wearing a crown of thorns. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful. When you see that crown of thorns, you're going to say, I'm not worthy. It will be the most humbling moment of your existence. You understand why we're going to worship for 10,000 years? Because we're going to see what the innocent one did for the guilty one. And we're going to praise him that we're even there. So listen, church, I want to prepare you for this because how you live on earth, how you've used your gifts, your talents, your money to serve others, you hoard it for yourself, it determines how you'll be rewarded in heaven. There's an old hymn that says, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will what? Last. At the judgment seat of Christ, I want you to know, Jesus is not going to say, so uh, what'd you do for a living? Um, going on any nice vacations? Uh, what, were your, what were your prime earning years? He's not going to ask any of that. Okay? So he's just going to simply say, how did you build my kingdom with the life I gave you? Now, does that bring you joy or regret? I want to tell you that because it is not too late to reinvest your life, your time, your talents, your treasure, spending it on others so that you can look forward to the award ceremony at the ju uh, judgment seat of Christ. You know, there's a TV show. It's called Inside the Actor's Studio. Uh, it's by James Lipton. He's the host, and he interviews like famous actors like Hugh Jackman. And one of the questions that he asks is like the last question he asks. He says to every actor, he says, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? And it's interesting to me how all the different Hollywood stars respond. I'll give you a sample. Ben Affleck, for instance, said he thinks God will say to him, your friends are in the back. They're expecting you, okay? Uh, will Smith said he thinks God will say, Good work, dog. <laughs> Which, maybe. <laughs> uh, Johnny Depp said he thinks God will just say, wow. <laughs> it's so Johnny Depp, isn't it? Like, I don't even know what he means by that. Like, God's going to be like, wow, that pirate costume's awesome. Like, what, you know? Susan Sarandon, you know, this is interesting. Uh, what's God going to say? Listen to what Susan Sarandon said. She will say, let's party, Okay. Robert De Niro said, if heaven exists, God has a lot of explaining to do. And I read that. That's my favorite one because I'm like, really? Really? You think God has to explain himself to Robert De Niro? I think God's going to say to Robert De Niro, you talking to me? <laughs> I think, I just, I just, talk. 
See, you don't have to guess what God's going to say. I'm going to tell you exactly what God's going to say. If you're a believer, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And if you're not a believer, God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who break God's laws. See, this is the the second judgment seat. Uh, And you can't get away from it. Every single person, rich or poor, famous or unknown, will stand before Christ and give an account one day. It's inescapable. And understand, if you don't meet Jesus as your Savior, you will ultimately meet him as your judge at the great white throne judgment. And this is a judgment not for Christians. This is not an award ceremony for believers. Rather, the great white throne judgment is a courtroom hearing for all who reject Jesus. Scripture says, They will face a judge, but there will be no jury. They will face a prosecutor, but no defense. There will be a verdict with no appeal. This is not a celebration, okay? This is the celebration. This is a sober scene. And I want to read this directly from Revelation 20, starting at verse 11. You can read along with me in your Bible or on your app. The Apostle John, he he received this revelation or unveiling from Jesus. Here's what's going to happen, and here's what he says. Then I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. So you don't have to worry, you know, if you were cremated. God has a way of bringing these things together. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And anybody whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So bring stuff. Notice how the Bible describes this chair. It calls it the great white throne judgment. Every word is significant. Great just means you're standing before the Lord God Almighty. We are finite creatures. We're standing before the infinite God of the universe. White certainly represents purity. There's this blazing sense of his purity and holiness and his justness to judge. And it is a throne. It's not a little seat here. It's a throne, meaning it's just majesty unlimited. And before this throne, I want you to imagine, you know, millions, actually billions, probably trillions of people standing before their ultimate creator to receive his final verdict on their soul. Now, I remind you, this great white throne, this is not for Christians. This is for non-believers and Christian pretenders. All who have been saved will have been saved by this time. They've stood before the judgment seat of Christ and received their reward. So the key question here is not what did you do with your life? The question is what did you do with Jesus? So you got to get this, guys. Men and women are not sent to hell because they're bad. They're not sent to hell because they're a liar. Men and women are not sent to hell because they're a murderer or a child abuser. They're sent to hell because they've denied Jesus Christ as God's son and savior of the world. They've rejected him and refused his forgiveness. Now, who is the judge sitting on the great white throne? Well, the answer is this is Judge Jesus. How do we know that? Matthew 5 says this. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to who? The Son. 
So it's not the Father, it's not the Holy Spirit. He's delegated absolute authority to Jesus to judge every human being. So if you've heard of Judge Judy, this is Judge Jesus, okay? And it makes sense. You should be glad for that. No one is more qualified than Christ, who did everything he could to save the guilty, including giving up his life to save every single man and woman, and only those who've rejected him. Only Christ can judge them without bias when they stand trial before the great white throne. Now, on what basis is Jesus going to judge them? Notice Revelation says there's an opening of books in plural. I never saw that. I always heard about the book of life. But if you look carefully, it says there are going to be books there. What are they? Ledgers, perhaps? Not certain, but perhaps in building his case against the wicked, Jesus may open the book of the law. In other words, he may open the, the Ten Commandments, what everybody knows, kind of the, the Constitution, the Magna Carta of the people of God. Uh, the Ten Commandments are typically what most people answer if you say, how are you going to make it to heaven? They say, well, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Most Americans say they do. But if you ask the average American, what are they? Just name Ten Commandments. They, they, they get stuck at three. They're like, uh, don't lie, um, don't steal, don't kill anybody, I think. Uh, yeah, I've kept those. What else? And then they're like, ah, it gets fuzzy. <laughs> right? Um, you know, you probably shouldn't sleep with someone who's not your spouse. And then they're like, you know, I've avoided all that. I'm a good person. But then here comes Jesus actually raising the bar. He says, that's, those are the, that's like the starting point. And Jesus says, you've heard it say, you know, don't commit adultery. Well, I tell you, if you even look at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And it's like, well, I might as well go straight to hell, right? Kind of moment. But see, it's not just the, the big things. It's not the blatant lies. It's the exaggeration, the false humility, the idolatry, loving things more than God and other people that will condemn us. Guys, for me, the truth is, if, if we were convicted on, did you keep every commandment perfectly? Would anybody here make it? I would not make it. The truth is, we all fall short, including yours truly. Some days, I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. So the book of the law may be open, and, and maybe the book of words. This, this is the one that really freaks me out a little bit. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you this, you will give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. I want you to think about everything that came out of your mouth in the last five days, right? <laughs> all the, the curses, all the criticisms, all of it. Do you know what scientists say? They say actually no word ever spoken ever is lost. It goes on forever. Scientists say that every word we utter reverberates as a sound wave out into the universe. It's out there bouncing around. That's, that, that's sobering. And at the judgment seat, it's possible that, 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 that Jesus opens this book and with his nailed, scarred hands, he says, uh, I just want to read back to you every word that's passed your lips, every morsel of gossip, every slander, every false word, every lie, every critical word that tears other down. Not one word will go unjudged. The book of words. It's possible that Jesus may consult then the book of, of works, of what we've actually done, not just our words, but our works. Ecclesiastes 12 says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You've heard it said, like, well, can you imagine your life as a movie? Now imagine your life, like every part of it, the hidden parts of it, projected on a giant screen, right? I'm like, for heaven's sakes, you know? Like, it would be rated R, right? Like, there'd be PG parts, like, with my kids, but, like, 
There's things like, even hidden things, like every, the things you think. Imagine if they were on a giant movie screen. I, I'm, guys, if you knew, I mean, I'm your pastor. If you knew half the thoughts that go on my head, you wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> that way, <laughs> if I knew what was going on in your head, I wouldn't talk to you. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's the truth, okay? In, Jesus, in Luke 12, Jesus promised this. He says, the time is coming when everything that's covered up will be revealed and all that secret will be made known to all. So I just imagine these books. I want you to imagine all the evidence piled up before the seat of the judge at the great white throne. Every word, every thought, every deed we've done by those who've refused Jesus Christ will be brought to light. And since they've never asked his forgiveness, no forgiveness will be offered. The evidence will be overwhelming. Man will have no alibi. He will have no excuses. The gates will be closed and the prosecution will rest. There's one final book. It's, it's the biggest book. It's the most important one of all. You notice Revelation talks about the book of life. Now this is a book. <laughs> Another book was opened, Revelation says, which was the book of life. Now what exactly is this book. You can see I'm going to unlock this thing here. This is amazing. It's about 200 years old, but it's helpful to understand a little history. In the Greek and Roman world, every city had a city registry that contained the names of every single person who lived in the confines of that city. So the cities, understand, they weren't like New York. They were not large metropolises in the ancient world. It was possible for the Romans to write down and record a very accurate list of every single person who lived in that city. And here's what they did. When a new baby was born, they wrote the baby's name into the book of life. But it was possible for somebody actually living in the city to break the laws of the city with such impunity, with such violence, to be so deceptive or dishonorable, live in a shameful way, that they actually would be called before a city judge and, and uh, tried. And if they were found guilty, the penalty for violating their citizenship, you know what it would be? Their name was blotted out, removed from the city's book of life. They would be called persona non grata. You are no longer welcome in this city. You are no longer allowed in it. In fact, we've removed your names, we've closed the gates, and you can never enter here again. Guys, it's that historical background I believe informs the book of life and revelation. I actually personally, I believe that when the moment a human baby is born, his or her name is written in God's book of life. What joy the father takes, right, in doing that. And that person has the rest of their lifetime to accept the truth of Christ. To call on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. But if you don't do that by the time you die, the Bible says your name will be blotted out, removed, erased from the book of life. That's sobering to me. It's sobering to imagine the God of the universe, Christ your creator, going through the book of life, searching for your name, uh, Lucas L. Let's see, it's a, oh, I'm sorry. And there's an empty space where your name was once written. It, it, it's no longer there because you refused to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Remember, your name being in this book is not dependent on your good works. Only names, not works, are in this book. So in a strange way, guys, goodness and badness don't matter. Uh, in fact, you want to be scandalized? There are going to be a lot of good people, moral people, who you're like, they're better than me and I'm a Christian. They just don't believe. There are going to be many great people, moral people, who live the great life, 
who stand before this judgment seat and they were just counting on their goodness, on their good deeds to get them into heaven. And they're going to be shocked. They're going to be stupefied to find their names are missing. Why? Because they refused the name of Jesus and were counting on their own righteousness to get them into heaven. Conversely, there will be notorious sinners here who we will be shocked, whose names are written in the book of life. And you're like, after all he did? No, after what Jesus did for him on the cross. They had the humility to confess their sins, to say, I need a savior and receive God's forgiveness for their evil acts. Guys, you've got to get this. Heaven is not for perfect people. It's for forgiven people. It's not for perfect people. It's for forgiven people. The question at the great white throne is not what did you do with your life, it's what did you do with my Jesus? And you will not have time to gin up some evidence of, of why you should get in. There's going to be people who scramble. Like, remember that time I stood out in the rain and I parked cars? I went to church, you know? Uh, remember those middle schoolers? You know, that was, I've already done my time in hell. Uh, you know, <laughs> do you remember so the Saturday I fed the poor out in the relief bus? And Jesus will say, yeah, I remember, and I remember your self-righteousness. You did it all for show to prove how good you were without me. You acted all religious on the outside, but were really self-righteous. You did the deeds, but I didn't have your heart. In Matthew 7, Jesus predicted this. He said, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, hey, we, we, we preached in your name. We, uh, we were part of the prayer team. We cast out demons. <laughs> we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me. Are there scarier words than that to hear from God? I never knew you. The Bible says at the great white throne there will be many Christian pretenders who did all sorts of good things but didn't know God personally. Can I just ask, is that part of you? Is that... Friends, understand the Father has clearly offered salvation to every man and woman. The way is clear. It is an authentic heart trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. And it's up to you to accept that or reject that in your heart. When you stand before the great white throne, relying on your own righteousness or on Christ. And so my question is real simple. It's like, have you made your decision to trust in Jesus? If today was a day, would you say, oh, I know it. My name is written in the book of life. I've made my reservation. Do you have that heart confidence? You know it. Because I don't fear the end. I don't fear it. It doesn't bother me. The Bible promises anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the final judgment, and I, I don't love to talk about it. In fact, I was like, I don't want to preach on hell. Who wants to preach on hell? Me? No. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll just, I won't get into this that much. But I felt like, I, honestly, I was convicted. I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Tim, you will neglect, you will be derelict in your duties as a pastor to neglect warning your people about this. So I want you to please hear my heart, okay? I'm not trying to scare you. I just, one day I will stand before God and I will give an account to the truth that I told you. Did I, did I share the entire word? Did I give you all the truth and nothing but the truth? Or did I say, you can't handle the truth? I would be a coward for fear of political correctness or offending you not to tell you what the lake of fire is. What is the lake of fire? Verse, verse 14 says soberly, 
the lake of fire is the second death. In other words, apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible says there are two deaths every person will face. The first is our physical death, right? When your, bi your biological body stops breathing, you go in the ground. When you die physically, that's when your soul is separated from the body. But the second death is a spiritual death. It's where your soul is separated from God forever and ever. That's what the Bible says will happen if you refuse Christ. See, I, I can talk about this with you because Jesus did not avoid this topic. Jesus preached about hell over and over again. In fact, this emboldened me. I found that Christ actually spoke three words about hell for every one word about heaven. And he described hell as a place where the fire never dies, constantly weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter darkness and torment, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not prepared for men and women, but to hell they will go if they reject the truth of Christ. So we each have a choice. Here, here's your choice today, ready? You can be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and only die once. You can, all of us are born once. We're born physically, right? You come out of your mama's you know, uh, uh, womb, and then you know, the doctor spanks you. Wow, you're born once. <laughs> and then you're going to, you know, 82 years later, you go in the ground, you're, you're dying physically, but you're going to die spiritually too apart from Christ. Or you could be born physically, come out of your mama's womb, doctor spanks you, wah, and then you're born again when you give your life to Jesus Christ. In faith, you say, forgive me. I want to be born into the family of God. You do that. You never die twice. You die once. You die physically, but then understand you begin eternal life with God in heaven forever. So that's the choice that we have, okay? I'm just trying to make sure you understand who God is. God is not some doting old grandpa in heaven. And when we thumb our nose and deny our sin and reject his son, he just kind of pats us on the head and lets it go. God is perfectly loving, but he's also perfectly just. And if God promises heaven to those who receive Christ, then the judgment of hell awaits those who reject him. Now, let me tell you the problem with this. There are many people today who incorrectly assume that heaven is the default destination of people. And I need to teach you clearly it is not. Hell is the default destination of each soul apart from Christ. Here's what a lot of people think nowadays. I hear this all the time. Well, you know, Uncle Larry died, you know, but in, in Uncle Larry, you know, he, he wasn't much of a church guy. He, he wasn't real religious, but, but, you know, Uncle Larry was a pretty good old boy. He did a lot of good things for people. Uh, I remember that time he helped that widow, you know, and, and uh, he, you know, he had some stuff. He had a couple habits. We're not really going to talk about this. This is going to be a happy day. Uh, Larry tried hard, you know, and he did a lot of good things for people. And we're just so thankful that Uncle Larry's in a better place now. We're so glad he's in a better place now. And we tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better anytime someone we love departs from this earth. We're thankful they're in a better place now because so many people believe heaven is the default destination. But what you need to understand is that hell is actually the default destination of every soul. And most of us say, hey, we're pretty good people. We're doing the best we can. We're all going to heaven, right? Wrong! Guys, God doesn't grade on the curve. You understand this? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter how good a person you were, how good deeds, if you, how hard you try to follow the rules. I be, I'm with you. I fall short and fall under the judgment of God by default. In Matthew 7, Jesus warned us urgently. He said, enter through the narrow gate 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? Life. And only a few find it. Only those humble enough to say, I don't have anything, but Jesus, you have everything. You did it all for me. The tragedy is that many people believe heaven is the default destination when the reality is there are a lot of people going on a six-lane highway straight to hell. But hell is not for you. Can you just say that? Hell is not for me. Hell is not for me. God doesn't want hell for any single person here. The Bible says that none should perish. The, did you see in Revelation? The Bible says that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. You understand that? God didn't create hell for men and women. There is prized possession. We are made in his image, and hell was originally prepared for the devil and his demons who are trying to take as many down with them as possible. But you were created for heaven, and God wants you there so badly he sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, who stood up from his throne in heaven, who took off his crown and left it here, and got on a tree and was nailed to it and put a crown of thorns on his head, and he says, this is for you. I'm going to give up my life so that you can live eternally with us. That's how much I love you. This is out of love. You understand this? He was ripped out of the arms of his father, and Jesus went to hell in your place. And because he died as your substitute, there's no judgment left for you. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, his righteousness gets deposited into your account. Do you know what happens when you say, Jesus, be my Savior, forgive my sins? Here's what happens. You become a saint in the eyes of God. Do you know that? A saint isn't a perfect person. It's just somebody who's been forgiven by God. So you can call me from now on Saint Timothy. All right? You just call it. You just, okay. I know some of you are like, whoa, bro, I've seen you. <laughs> Not on Sundays. You, you, know, you don't do you know, you fall short in a lot of areas. Oh, I know. That's not why I'm a saint. The reason I'm a saint, the reason John's a saint, Jermaine's a saint, is because when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not Jermaine. He sees the white robe of Jesus wrapped around him. And so I still fall short, I still stumble, I still sin all the time, but God, the righteous judge, looks on me and says, innocent. My son Jesus paid for Tim's sin, and now Tim is righteous in my sight. Amen? That's the only way you get to heaven. The Bible says, for it is by grace, God's radical love, his undeserved, unearned love and forgiveness that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The truth is, guys, i just tell you the truth. Here it is, ready? There is one way home to your Father in heaven. And Jesus declared, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That's the truth of God. Can you handle the truth? Give God a praise if you can handle truth. That's the truth. That's just how it is. Anyone whose name wasn't found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. That's the default destination. Now, I know that's troubling to some of you. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, or someone invited you to church, or you're a skeptic, like, I get it. I, I totally understand what you're thinking, right? You're like, this, I, this is the part of Christianity I don't, I don't vibe with. I don't like this part of the story. <laughs> In fact, you may be thinking, wait, God's sending people to hell? That's not fair. That would be my thought, too, unless you actually think it through. Let's just, let's just talk about what's fair at the great white throne. How many of you have known somebody who hurts somebody else very severely and there was no punishment. Like they just totally got away with it, you know? Growing up, you saw something done, and when you see that right, you're like, that is not fair. Somebody's gotta pay for that, right? How, how many of you know somebody who did a horrible injustice, and they got away with it, 
And there's like no consequence. You see this in news all the time. I watch this. I'm like, that's not fair. Somebody's got to pay for that. That is exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. God, in his justice, takes all of the sin, all of the evil, all the wicked things done under heaven and says, at this moment, there will be payment for every sin that wasn't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because they have not humbled themselves and they've admitted their guilt and asked for forgiveness, I'm merciful, I would have given it. Here's the punishment. I'm going to give them what they want, life apart from me. And let me tell you something. Not only is that fair, that's what we call justice. So if you want to play the not fair game, then you understand. Let me tell you what's unfair. What's truly unfair is that the only one who lived a perfect, sinless, innocent life got the crown of thorns. And what's unfair is that the one with the crown of thorns is going to say to all the guilty ones, come my great and faithful servant and put a crown on our heads. So you thank God he is not fair because grace is the most unfair thing. If it were up to us, we're all in the lake of fire, starting with me going off the diving board first. You understand? I'm serious. You thank God that grace is not fair because grace is the unearned, undeserved love and favor of God. It's why it's called the gospel. It means it's good news to those who are perishing. Thank God we're not treated as our sins deserve. So I thank you, God, that you are not fair because I want to live a life on earth that's worthy, that's worthy of reward in heaven. You understand that? Amen? Are you with me? I just feel the Spirit. Let's just pray right now. Father, thank you right now. I pray right now your Holy Spirit would testify to the truth of what's been preached. Spirit, would you release faith in your people so we can live a life worthy of reward in heaven? And God, I pray right now for those who are uncomfortable or unsettled. They know they're living apart from you. Would you just open their heart right now to receive salvation? God, so they will know their names are written in the book of life forever. Let's just keep praying. Let's keep our heads bowed all of our campuses. As you're praying today, I want to talk to you for a moment, those of you who are already Christians. If you're a Christian, I'm talking to you, and I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you truly want to live a life on earth worthy of Christ's rewards in heaven? Now, let's be careful here. What I'm not saying is that you're trying to win his favor or his approval. You're already accepted because of Jesus, but out of gratitude for everything he did, do you want to live your life not for your own glory and pleasure, but for his? All those of you who are Christians here at all of our campuses right now, if you're like, yes, I want to serve in Jesus' name. I want to love in his name. I want to give in his name. I want to witness in his name so my life on earth is worthy of reward in heaven. Would you raise your hand right now if that's your prayer? Just raise your hand at all of our campuses. Put your hands up so I can pray for you, okay? Father, we're praying. We have our hands outstretched. Thank you right now for your sons and daughters who desire to please you in everything we do. And I pray, God, would you just give us eyes to see ears to hear and see the needs in front of us. And Jesus, with the purest of motives right now, we would visit the sick, God. Would you let us allow us and give us eyes to visit those in prison and clothe the naked and feed the hungry? Because we know one day in heaven you're going to say to us, that was for me. When you fed them, that was me you fed. I was naked and you clothed me. And we're going to be like, when do we do this? And you're going to say, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy I've been preparing for you. And God, when you reward us, we just pledge right now, we will fall on our faces and throw the crowns back at your feet because you are the only one, Jesus, worthy of our worship and honor and praise. So God, help us to live a life on earth worthy of your rewards in heaven. You can put your hands down. 
we're going to keep praying. Just as we're keeping praying, I want to pray for those of you right now who are feeling unsettled. You're just like, why are people excited about this? Maybe you're not a Christian. You feel some discomfort. You, you don't feel peace. You don't feel joy. You just recognize right now. You, like, your heart recognizes if you stood before the great white throne that your good works are not good enough. You know your name is not written in the book of life because you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Here's the good news. God says, I will never turn anyone away who comes to me in faith. And those who simply ask Jesus to come into their heart for salvation right now, he says, I promise I will never leave you or forsake you. I will save you. And I believe that's why God brought you to church today. Because today is the day your name gets written in the book of life. You become a Christian. You ask Christ to be your Savior. So right now, if you're here, no matter what you've done, he promises to forgive all the sin, the abortion, the abuse, the adultery, whatever it is that you think is separating you from God, he says, I'm going to cancel it all and wipe it right now. And so for those of you who are here and you would pray that prayer, you'd say, yes, today, Jesus, I, I give my life to you. Forgive me. Make me new. I want you to lift your hand right now, right now in this place. Just lift it up. Praise God for you all over the place. Praise God for you. I want to see you. I want to see you with my eyes over here. Three people over here. Praise God for you, sir. That is awesome. This is a life-changing decision. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Two people in the back, a whole family. I see three people over here. Even if I can't see you, God sees you. This is for you. Just raise your hand. Anybody else? Praise God. Today's a day of salvation. Father, I pray right now for those who are lifting up their hands they're about to commit their whole life, Father God, to you. So, Father, right now, receive this prayer. And I want you to pray aloud with me if you've raised your hand. Let's all pray this out loud. Ready? Heavenly Father, I confess today that Jesus is Lord of all. Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for how I've rebelled. I turn from them now. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And you rose again so I can live for you. I ask your forgiveness. I receive salvation. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. Make me ready for your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Liquid Church, we, we're going to have to explode in praise. We need to welcome new believers to the family of God. Give them a hand. All of our campuses, praise God for you.